Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're currently in chapter 4 at verse 28. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 28 of chapter 4 of the book of Daniel, where it says this. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, A voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand and say to him, What have you done? At that time my reason returned to me, And my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So we find here in the second half of chapter 4 of Daniel, this ending of Nebuchadnezzar's own personal testimony. This is almost like a gospel tract of the Old Testament. This is a a, a Gentile king who came uh, through a series of steps and stages, you might say, to come to this point in his life. And uh, it took the discipline action of God upon his physical being as well as his mental state to such a degree as to Bring him to full humility before the God 
of Daniel. And uh, so that is why he's writing this this particular announcement, you might say. This is, this is like an official uh, uh, document uh, directly from the palace, and it's written by the king about the king himself in his own words. And, uh, of course, we, we uh, went through the first part of chapter 4 in the last episode, which included a prologue, as well as the king's consultation, as well as his uh, bringing in uh, Daniel, who uh, at that time is is still called Belteshazzar, which is the the uh, the Babylonian name they gave to him, and then uh, there was this particular dream that uh, Daniel was supposed to interpret that included a tree that was cut down by evidently an angelic uh, lumberjack angel of some sort. And anyway, he, it was cut down and the stump re, uh, remained with bands of iron and bronze around the stump so that no one else would touch it or remove it. But instead, it stayed there uh, so that it was in some ways uh, a, a message of hope to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, now we find out that, uh, that hep- the king gets humbled in the way that the dream had already brought to him this message. And that happens in verses 28 through 33. Then there's there's an epilogue to this tract, uh, to this uh, particular testimonial document, and uh, that is verses 34 through 37. So that gives you an idea of the way this entire chapter is actually one humongous story. And in many regards, the first four chapters as a whole could be considered a a single story because the story really... uh, isn't about Daniel and his three friends. The story seems to be all about Nebuchadnezzar because it was about the impact that these four Jewish men had upon the king of the empire of Babylon. Then that is a remarkable work of God who took these young men. Then they started out as very young men. Perhaps they were nothing more than teenagers. And, uh, and yet God demonstrates that as teenagers, as young men, that these could have an impact on this Gentile pagan uh, pantheistic God, uh, the pantheistic king, and uh, and they stood against him. They had a testimony toward him, and Daniel had even even uh, cultivated this rapport that uh, in itself was a sort of a miracle in in some regards to have that kind of ability to talk to the king the way he did and interpret his his dreams the way he did in uh, all transparency and all honesty and uh, and so th- this is exactly uh, what happened and the rest of this chapter tells you the actual events not just the dream not just the interpretation, but the actual events as they played out in Nebuchadnezzar's life. So, it, and so this is a transitional sentence in many regards at verse 28. And this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar the king. And, uh, and uh, that means that a whole year had passed, according to verse 29. And uh, the king was on the roof of his palace. And by the way, uh, the uh, palace 
was, uh, of course, in the city of Babylon. And in fact, there were uh, three different palaces, according to historical records, that the King Nebuchadnezzar had built within the same city. The city itself had an outer wall uh, that uh, was 320 feet high and 80 feet across the top of the wall. And it was, it was uh, lengthy. In fact, it encompassed the entire city. It was 56 miles around the city, or at least the, the core part of the city. And uh, that, mean, that meant it encompassed uh, approximately six square miles, according to some of our calculations. But the king may have actually been in one of his palaces and in, and in fact may have actually been the, uh, the palace that included what we know as the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. So that may very well be the setting for this particular little musing that went on with the king and himself there on the roof of the palace. And uh, that is, he had such a vista of uh, his entire kingdom in many regards, and at least the city, and uh, maybe even miles around the city that he could see to the far horizon that he was in control of. And there was something about the uh, the splendor of that kingdom, the, the richness of that palace and of that city that uh, he was built up, even though even though Daniel had given him a warning, and yet now a year later, he fails to heed the warning. He, he, Daniel had already told him uh, a year before, break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. And here a year later, is his fall. This is his greatest achievement, and yet in his pride he falls and he disobeys Daniel's words of encouragement and rebuke and uh, challenge and his, his, his call to repentance. And this prideful king, arrogant, says, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have, have built as a royal residence by my, uh, the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? It's all about him, you see. It is all about his power. It is all about his control. It is all about the fact that this tyrannical king was in control and he loved it. And he was the one that was responsible for putting him there. And he had forgotten the words of Daniel, the arrogance of this man. And that's exactly when the, uh, the angel appeared. In fact, it says, Verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, you see, there is something detrimental. There is something very dramatic about the fact that even this pagan, unbelieving Gentile king who knew nothing except uh, nothing about the God of Daniel, except what Daniel had given him so far. And that was just about it. But uh, this king had given certain credit to the God of Daniel at certain levels, but that was about as far as it was. He uh, 
He just allowed Daniel's God to be a part of his Parthenon or a part of his panoply of gods that he worshiped. And at least he, he, uh, he at least accredited the God of Daniel to be somehow equal to all of the other idols that he worshiped and all the other gods that he had. And, uh, and yet he himself was, was taking the credit for this empire and his authority and his sovereignty over that empire. And Daniel had already told him, no, it is not your sovereignty, except that the God of heaven, my God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that God has given you the freedom of exercising your authority over this tremendous empire. And now you think it is you. You think it's all about you and it's not about you at all. It's about what God has given you, what God has allowed you to do. And you wouldn't have anything if God hadn't given it to you. And even though this king was far from being what you might call a real believer, and yet the angel steps in and begins to lay out in detail what the next part of Nebuchadnezzar's history is going to be. And it's going to fulfill everything that the dream had originally been interpreted to be for Nebuchadnezzar. Well, it's time for a musical interlude. We'll see you on the other side of this break. Welcome back to our uh, study in the uh, book of Daniel chapter 4. And the king has just made this arrogant, prideful, self-centered uh, acclaim about his own kingdom and about the position that he had led this empire uh, uh, into this uh, uh, place of splendor and glory and majesty. And it was all by his might and power, according to his own words. And the angel steps in in verse 31 and says, while the word it was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. you see, he had just used the words, Babylon the Great. You do realize that that city had ancient history, ancient history all, all the way back to the Tower of Babel, uh, right after the flood of, of Noah, 
was erected the Tower of Babel, and Nimrod was in control of that particular empire and uh, reigned in that particular region. And so, in many regards, Nebuchadnezzar may very well be seeing himself as a resurrection of the work of Nimrod. We don't know that for a fact, but, but it is a fact that he uses this phrase, Babylon the Great have I built for myself. And you do know that later on in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, there is a prediction that this city will be rebuilt, or at least there will be some sort of a mechanism by which Babylon the Great again rises up and becomes an empire that is almost impenetrable were it not for the Jewish Messiah. So in some regards, this is almost like a precursor of the Messiah and what he does to the Gentile nations before he comes back and returns and sets up his throne on earth. And yet uh, this is uh, to us, this is old history, never to be repeated again. And yet, and yet uh, uh, John saw Babylon the Great restored to its former glory and more on a global influence scale. And then Babylon the Great has fallen again for the final time, according to John in the book of Revelation. Well, we won't have time to do that study today, but I just want you to know the the significance of these words, of this attitude by this king, of all that he is taking upon himself of his own pride and arrogance. And then the angel says, it's all taken away from you, Nebuchadnezzar. And that's exactly where you have sovereignty has been removed from you. You see, uh, Daniel had already told him, had already warned Nebuchadnezzar, in the original dream about, or nightmare actually, according to the king's uh, record, and it was a nightmare about a statue, and the statue changed its elements as it went from the head to its feet uh, four different times, maybe even five, according to the calculations that if you want to get technical. And that is the head was gold. And Daniel says, you are that head. And he says, there's going to be another kingdom come along inferior to you. That's going to be silver with the arms and the chest of uh, silver. And that, of course, we now know to be the Medo-Persian Empire. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar, of course, didn't know that at the time. All that he knew was according to Daniel's interpretation of that particular dream earlier that he was going to be replaced, or at least the Babylonian empire was going to be replaced by another empire that would conquer them. And now, as far as the individual king is concerned, Babylon may not be off the picture yet, but this king is going to be humbled. His sovereignty is going to be taken away. He will be disciplined. You cannot say those kinds of words in front of God and everybody else and get away with it, you see. That's exactly what the angel is trying to get across, and it's already been been predicted by this latest dream of Nebuchadnezzar, that the tree would be cut down and humbled down to its basic 
core of just being a stump. And that's exactly the authority was removed from King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, verse 32, and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the most high and this angels, of course, this angel is referring to the God of Daniel. He says, the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whomever he wishes. He bestows sovereignty on the ones he wants to. And then he has the power to remove that sovereignty when he wants to. And uh, this seems to be applying to this pagan, unbelieving king of a Gentile sort who knew nothing except what Daniel told him about his God, and yet he was arrogantly defying that God, and God is saying, I'm showing up now, and you're not. And that's, that's what happens. And he says, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. Now, this syndrome actually does have a name in certain circles. It's called boanthropy, where uh, a person takes on a a mental state of becoming animalistic, and truly, uh, they begin to act that way. Of course, in this case, this was an actual judgment of God, and uh, is this is not just a psychological syndrome. This is something God imposed upon this king so that he roamed the fields and the woods and the jungles like an animal. And he ate grass like an animal. And he slept in the open fields like an animal. And dew covered his body. And his hair grew. And his his, his uh, fingernails and toenails grew. And uh, it, it says it was for seven periods of time. And it's kind of left up to our own interpretation of exactly how long those period of times might have been. We don't know for sure. We kind of assume, though, that it uh, was likely seven years worth of judgment, of disciplinary action, where this king, this man, wasn't even human, hardly anymore at all. And, uh, and I believe that's the reason why his hair is described this way and his, his nails are described this way is because after seven years, that is the appearance that a man would grow into uh, if his hair was not ever cut and his nails were never trimmed. And so that is what a ghastly uh, place of humility that this once reigning king over the entire empire of Babylon is now nothing more than an animal who sleeps in the grass at night. But then, verse 34, here's the king's rest of his story, see, because he's told the rest of the chapter just to get to this point, because this is the core of what changes him. It says in verse 34, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Now to us, that says that is just a phrase of a gesture, barely more than a gesture. And he's not rolling his eyes anymore. This is not uh, Nebuchadnezzar being disgusted with the God Most High. This is him raising his eyes toward the God Most High. And that's the only place he knows where to raise them. To look for the God Most High is toward the sky. And uh, 
That's what he does. He raises his eyes. That in itself, you see, is that one gesture of complete humility, complete submission, complete surrender to the God of heaven and to his way and to his will and to his words as they have been uttered to him by the prophet Daniel himself. So he says, uh, when he raised uh, his eyes towards heaven, he says, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And so now the king has had a change of heart. And in this case, that change of heart has included a change of mind, a complete change of mind. This completely changes his his animalistic uh, mental state and bodily state into back being a man again, a human being again, and being a human being surrendered to the power and the authority of the Most High God. And this is a dramatic thing. Da, uh, the the uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar wants you to know that he is now praising that God as being the Most High God. That that God is the one who lives forever. All the other gods may come and go, and so this pagan God, who uh, this pagan king that is, who worshipped many many gods, has now raised the God of Daniel higher than all the others, and said He is the one that I now worship. And He says because He is the one that is ultimately in control of humankind on earth, and He says so. His dominion is a everlasting dominion. His kingdom is a, is, endures from generation to generation. It doesn't matter what the human kingdoms may come and go on this earth. Human tyrants, human uh, dictators, human kings, and human presidents may come and go, but God remains the same. And he says the inhabitant, inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? So Nebuchadnezzar, this prideful, arrogant king, has now surrendered to the God most high of heaven and earth. And when his reason returned to him, what's interesting is his kingdom was returned to him. Evidently, someone had been co-regent with him because he hadn't died and someone had taken over the palace, someone else had taken over his kingdom uh, uh, temporarily and now he was brought back into the throne and he says splendor was was, uh, uh, majesty and splendor were restored to me and, and the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and nobles began seeking me out. So This king now was restored to his position of authority because now he understood where his authority came from. It comes from the God Most High, the one who has all kingdoms in his hand. And so he says, my sovereignty, and in fact, he says, uh, with surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true. This king, this prideful, arrogant king, finally understand that it was Daniel's God, the God Most High, whose works were true and his ways were just. And he's able to humble those who walk in pride. And yes, he is 
If you are arrogant and pride against the God of the Bible, against the God who inspired the prophets of the Bible, if you think you know more than this God, then you see you may have to learn what Nebuchadnezzar learned. There is no other God. You're not it. The God of Daniel is. And of course, we know him as the God of the Messiah, the God of Jesus of Nazareth, the God who is God come in the flesh, who died for our sins and rose again and ascended back to heaven. And he is the one we worship. And your humility may bring you to that place that it is not about me. It is about Jesus taking my sin away so that I can be restored to sanity, to humanity, once again. Father, I thank you that you not only are the God who is in control, you are the God who reaches out in compassion to convict us of our sin of pride and arrogance and to humble us so that we come before your words and your work and declare they are true. And we thank you for your word and your work. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>